Welcome to Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors. I'm your host, David Smith. This episode is about trophy patents, R&D labs, patent licensing, and a strange man I met in Brussels who took great pride in his ability to secure huge budgets to build thousands of cheap patents that would never be sold, licensed, or otherwise used. Universities and research labs do a good deal of advanced research, filing large numbers of patents. They often see patents as trophies, evidence of their technical leadership in a particular field of research. However, these patents are costly to produce, and there's usually a push to generate a return on the substantial investments made in securing and acquiring them. At the same time, there can be a push to reduce the cost of patenting. I was once speaking on a panel with the head of intellectual property at a European research organization, whose whole presentation was centered around the strategies deployed to minimize the cost of securing a patent and generating the maximum number of allowed patents at the minimal cost. He explained how the organization only used patent attorneys for certain tasks, limited their hours, and used the attorneys that offered the lowest possible price. This organization was generating thousands of patents each year. The focus of this man's job seemed to be to lobby for more budget for patents, then secure as many patents as possible within this budget and he was extremely proud of the low cost per patent he'd achieved. After the session, I quietly asked the speaker how he monetized the patents. It seemed like this was something outside his concern. I asked if they licensed their patents out or sold them. He was emphatic in declaring that they did not sell their patents nor license them and that he would never consider such a thing. In my talk that day in Brussels, I explained that patents were weapons of litigation and the patent was a right to sue an infringer. I said the only thing you can do with a patent is sue an infringer, requesting the court to award you with damages for past infringement or for an injunction to prevent future infringement. I admitted that there was one other thing you could do with a patent, use it as the basis to file child patent applications. To step back, this was not my perspective when I accidentally entered the patent business back in 2003. I was an entrepreneur building a technology trading exchange. Based on my experience that it was very difficult for startups to bring new products to market and compete with large corporations who have market credibility and established distribution channels. I soon realized the challenge was the same for scientists and engineers creating new products in research labs. Developing technology and building new products is one thing. Getting it to market is something else. Depending on the type of product, it can be hugely expensive and time-consuming to establish a route to market. Large corporations have spent billions of dollars over decades of time to build their channels. 
they usually own the channels to the customer. Large corporations own the distribution channels, but some of the best new products and technologies come from small innovative teams working outside the corporate structure. I was seeing lots of hot products coming out of Silicon Valley startups and research labs that failed to get commercialized simply because they were in the wrong hands. We needed to get these hot new products into the channels that belonged to large corporations who were always looking for new products and revenue streams. Hence my development of an online technology trading exchange. We started out by spidering the internet and producing an online catalogue of every technology listed for sale in university and research labs across the world. We also created a news site aggregation service where we were aggregating news in each of these technology fields. I was really interested in technology and new products, but I found myself in the world of intellectual property and I discovered it was a pretty ugly cutthroat business. Yes, large corporations are looking for new products and revenue streams, but the problem is that they don't want to pay for them. If they can copy the technology without paying for the privilege, that's considered the smart approach to take. Corporations are answerable to their shareholders and it's not good business from a shareholder or financial perspective to go paying for technology licenses when the technology can simply be taken, built into products and license fees can be avoided. This is how I found myself in the patent business. Patents provide the inventor and owner with an exclusive right to the invention for a period of time. 20 years in the United States. I learned in my patent classes at law school that an exclusive right means a right to exclude. That right provides the patent holder with the power to sue an infringer. So yes, I was correct in my talk that day in Brussels. A patent is merely a weapon of litigation. However, what I learned that day in talking to the IP directors from some of the largest research labs in Europe was that they viewed patents as trophies. The organization with the most patents can rate itself as the leader in that particular field and this can be valuable from a PR perspective. Unfortunately, trophy patents are not usually valuable from a financial perspective. Financially, they produce the worst returns on investment you could possibly imagine. In order to understand this, let me tell you about one of my clients who runs a leading firm of patent attorneys. These are patent attorneys who create patents for litigation and licensing. They create patents that will withstand the rigors of litigation, patents that will stand up in court. My client, the patent attorney, is often called in to advise his clients when they find themselves on the receiving end of patent lawsuits or letters from attorneys accusing them of infringement. I called him one day and he was working on a case where his client had been served with a patent infringement accusation from an organization holding more than 10,000 patents. 
he was analyzing all the 10,000 plus patents to figure out how his client should respond. After reviewing all these thousands of patents, his conclusion as an attorney familiar with the patent litigation world, as well as patent prosecution, was that none of the patents would stand up in court. All the 10,000 plus patents were trophy patents. Not one of them was built to withstand the rigors of litigation. He advised his client that although they were facing such a huge array of ammunition, they were all duds and his client had nothing whatsoever to worry about. Trophy patents might impress those who are outside the patent licensing business, but they don't fool serious patent attorneys and litigators. My Technology Trading Exchange became Tynax, a patent exchange featuring hundreds of thousands of patents for sale. And I've been an active patent broker for many years now. I've learned firsthand that something north of 99% of patents would not stand up in court and they're of no interest to buyers or licensees. A study from Stanford calculated that less than one in a thousand patents is ever featured in a patent litigation trial. Less than one in a hundred is ever featured in a serious licensing effort. And I know that more than 99% of patents cannot be sold or licensed at any price. I've learned that building litigation quality patents is very different from building trophy patents. If you imagine a trophy patent is a rickety wooden shed, a litigation grade patent would be more like a mansion. Some of them would be the equivalent of skyscraper buildings. Most trophy patents just have a handful of claims. The most valuable patent I ever sold had more than 600 claims. The patent office filing fees for a trophy patent might be a few thousand dollars, whereas the teams that are building patents for licensing often invest heavily in filing numerous applications and the US patent office filing fees for one of the patent portfolios I'm dealing with has reached close to a million dollars. That's filing fees alone where a trophy patent attorney might spend a few hours on an office action, responding to a letter from the patent office examiner, some of my clients can spend more than $100,000 on legal fees for a single response. I'm not blaming the patent attorneys who create trophy patents. They're just doing what their clients ask them to do. Get me a granted patent and get it for me at the lowest price possible. Some patent attorneys, however, have no experience or perspective on the world of patent licensing, which almost always requires litigation. Many patent attorneys see their job as simply securing granted patents for their clients. They're not concerned with patent licensing or litigation, and frankly, many of them don't have any visibility into the world of patent monetization. They concern themselves with figuring out if an invention is patentable. Then they go about securing a patent, any patent, for their client. So where does this leave us when it comes to monetizing patents for universities and research labs? Technology transfer teams are given the task of commercializing technology coming from professors and researchers working on the forefront of science. There are essentially two alternative routes they can take. One, involves building a product through a new startup. 
The other involves licensing the technology to established companies who might be interested in building a product. Patents and technology can be spun out of an organization into a newly formed startup, but usually requires financing from a venture capital fund who will take control, appoint a CEO, and drive the company through the various stages of the startup process. Many venture capital funds don't know when they're looking at a trophy patent, and they're often unaware that the intellectual property they're acquiring offers little or no protection from competition. Large corporations and other companies that might be acquiring technology to incorporate into their products have patent attorneys accustomed to challenging patents in court, and they can usually spot trophy patents from a mile away. At this point, you're probably thinking that these trophy patents have no value whatsoever, and they offer no opportunities for technology commercialization teams beyond transferring them to unsuspecting venture capital investors. But this is not entirely the case. You may remember that I mentioned in my talk in Brussels that a patent can be used as the basis to file child patent applications. Called continuations, these child patents can be built for litigation and licensing. It's important that the window of opportunity for filing a continuation has not been allowed to close. If the window is still open and there's an open continuation, this can be used to build a litigation-grade patent family that could be used as the basis of a patent licensing campaign. Some of the most successful patent licensing campaigns I've come across have generated tens of millions of dollars, and they were started with patents that were never built to stand up in court. These patents and open continuations were taken by patent attorneys experienced in licensing and built into extremely strong portfolios. Rickety sheds were essentially transformed into sturdy, multi-story buildings by teams of patent attorneys who are familiar with what it takes to build a patent for licensing. Beyond the obvious requirement of having one or more open continuations, the key to success here is in having early priority dates. The priority date is the date that the first patent was filed. And large specifications, because the specifications form the seeds of the new application that can be filed later on. Universities and research labs usually have early priority dates as their scientists are leading the way with pioneering research. If the patent attorneys working on these organizations can make sure they produce highly detailed specifications and they can keep the family of patents alive with open continuations, we can take these patents to specialist patent licensing teams who are able to build the types of patents required to run a profitable licensing campaign. If I were approached by a university or research lab or a large corporate patent holder for that matter, looking for help in generating a return on investment from their patents, this is the type of process I would follow. Firstly, our team would analyze all their patents and applications. The first level of analysis is done with software, filtering the patents down to the most promising candidates. Then the second level involves analysis of the patents and applications by 
experienced patent attorneys. Once good candidates are identified, a business plan is prepared that identifies the potential in licensees. Then plans are drawn up as to how the portfolio can be strengthened through building new applications. And exploration is then undertaken of the financial prospects for success. Then a revenue sharing arrangement is agreed and the patents are transferred to a newly formed company that's dedicated to monetizing these patents. The patent attorneys then go to work, strengthening the portfolio. With fast-track patent prosecution, a new patent can be granted within a year. But building a large litigation-grade portfolio can take some time. Once the patent family is deemed strong enough for licensing, the campaign is kicked off and potential licensees are approached. The idea is to use both a carrot and a stick. Companies will try to avoid paying license fees, so the carrot-only approach is not often effective. The stick, in the form of a compelling threat of litigation, is usually required before companies will agree to take a license. Depending on the industry, the license fees can be measured in five figures, six figures, or seven figures. Huge industries like electronics, telecommunications, and automobiles can generate the best results. But the large manufacturers in these sectors have armies of lawyers backed with war chests of funds to minimize the patent royalties they pay out. However, licensing generates more revenues than a patent sale. And this can be the most effective method of earning a return on investment for universities, research labs, and patent holders of all types. I've learned a lot about patents and technology commercialization since I found myself in this business in 2003. It's somewhat bizarre that something like 99% of patents cannot be monetized, and licensing is certainly not easy. But it is possible, and some of my clients have successfully generated hundreds of millions of dollars in recent years. Trophy patents might have little or no value in themselves, but if they can be used to build child patents, the offspring can form the basis of profitable licensing campaigns in the coming years. If you're interested in monetizing patents, I'll be happy to see if I can help out. Just send in an inquiry on our tynax.com website. That's it for today. You'll find free books, videos, and entire courses on patents and patent licensing at our Silicon Valley Business School website at svbs.co. Hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player, as this will help us get the word out to the inventors the entrepreneurs and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. That's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators and entrepreneurs.